Welcome to the weekly podcast of East Point Church of God. Pastor Larry Sterling, we invite you to join us in a service soon. We're located at 379 Avenue A, East Point, Florida. Our service times are 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays and 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. We pray that this week's message inspires you to shine the light of Christ to those around you. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Again, it is, it is so good to see you today. All of, all of our visitors and guests, it's so, I'm, we're so glad that you're here this morning. Genesis chapter 2. To this morning, I'm going to be speaking about purity. Purity. We are in a series on forgotten virtues. And I, this is a virtue that our society has completely forgotten. So, Genesis chapter 2. When you find it, stand with me for the reading of the word of God. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. The Bible says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, at this moment, as we focus in on the word of God, Lord, may this be a moment of understanding the reality of purity that needs to be given in our lives and in our hearts. And Lord, I want this day more than anything else, Lord, I desire that God, that each soul will leave here with a better knowledge of understanding what is biblical purity. And so, Lord, I ask, O oh Lord, give me wisdom. Give, open my mouth and that I may speak your word. Lord, that when we exit this moment, this has been a moment of speaking with you. And so, Lord, I ask you, O oh Father, hide me in the cleft of the rock that you may speak to your children. Lord, we need you today. Lord, we pray for our country. We pray, God, for safety over our borders as in the land that we are falling under. And, Lord, of all the peoples of the world today that are inactive in terrorism and all the things, Lord, we pray for those that are that families that are living without loved ones across the world today. And we ask, oh, God, may peace of God begin to come into this world again. Jesus, we ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want to speak to you this morning about biblical purity. And I'm using this word importantly because I want to tell you that what the world calls pure is not biblical. Biblical purity is a forgotten virtue in our land, in our society today. Biblical purity. And also, we need to understand the difference in this, this concept because I want, to, I want you to hear me very carefully. You see, this is a truth in Scripture, okay? Innocence equals purity. Innocence equals purity. But this is also a truth in Scripture. Purity does not always equal innocence. Okay, let me put it to you in another way. Supposedly that you love Florida State football. Right? Supposedly. Some of y'all don't. But supposedly you do. So let's just propose this idea here this morning that you're a Florida State graduate. And we're going to make an assumption that if you graduated from Florida State, this may not be true, but we'll say that it is, that all graduates of Florida State are fans of Florida State football. One equals the other because they went to the school. So that, that is a somewhat of a truth. On the other side of it, though, there are fans of Florida State that did not graduate from Florida State there are fans of Florida State football that did not graduate. 
from Florida State. So to define a fan of Florida State football is, is too confining to just say that they're all graduates of Florida State. It's bigger than that, right? To define purity as innocence is, is okay in certain areas, but it's bigger than that. To define purity as, as innocence is goes well beyond these things. Purity, it does not always equal innocence because purity, and I want you to hear me very carefully, purity is chosen in innocence. It is choosing to do what is right in the midst of a world that is going wrong. You see, I want to show you in Scripture here what is what the Bible is showing us in the all the way back into the garden and all the way back into this midst here. Purity, and I want to say this very carefully where I'm going so that you'll be able to follow me. Purity is obeying God's word. Purity is obeying God's word. That is purity. Being pure before God is obeying God. Being pure before God. You may be innocent as a child, but obedience is what God is asking of us to be pure with. When you say that I am pure, you are saying I am obeying what the Lord God has said. Now let's look at this scripture. The Lord God formed the man of dust of the ground and breathed into, into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Then the Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden. There he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that was pleasant to the sight and good for food. Notice here, he has created a tree that is pleasant, that is good for food so that you would notice that it's there. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You see, I want you to notice something very important. Verse 9, the Lord and out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow. What's that say? Every tree. How many? All of them. And how many was all of them? How many of them? What, is, what describes every tree is pleasant to the sight and good for food. All of them were pleasant to look at. And all of them were good for food. That's what he's saying here. But... Verse 15, skip down there. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to tend to keep it. And the Lord commanded him, the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now what do we find? Every tree is pleasant to the eyes and good for food, but God planted one right there and said, you can't touch that one. You can't eat that one. You, you with me? All right. So let's keep going. And then so the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. So as we look at scripture here, you would see that Bible says it's not good for Adam to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. So I'm going to make him a helper comparable to him. Now, what does God do? You would think immediately that the next thing out of God's mouth is going to be let there be Eve. But that's not what the text says. The Bible says that now out of the ground, God begins to create all these animals. And then he takes Adam and he says, okay, Adam, look at all these animals. And all of them pass by. All of them come before him. And not a single one of them are found comparable to him. Are not found in any way, shape, or form to, to be able to, to, to be an acceptable helper to him. And so the question is, why would God do this? Because God is, 
It's omniscient. He's, he knows that none of these people, or none of these animals are going to be good helpers. None of these, none of these guys are going to be good. Uh, none of these animals are going to be good helpmates to them and helpmates to Adam. None of these are going to be appropriate. Why is God going this way? You would think that together, Adam and Eve would stand there and all the animals would go by as her helper. She suggests names and he would pick a name and then she would get the way. That's just the way it usually works. I don't think that's a good name, Adam. So maybe that's why God waited to do her last. You know, maybe, I don't know. Whoa, man, glad my wife's doing kids' church today. But anyway, so Adam's there naming all these names and naming all these animals as they go by. And so, so what is God doing? I'll tell you in a minute. So then the next thing, God creates, God says, there's no. This is not good. This is not happening. It is not a, a helper is found comparable to him. What are they? They are not comparable or compatible to him. And there's a reason why they're different. Let's move on. Verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed the flesh in its place. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to man. And Adam said now this is this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh and they were both naked in the man and his wife and they were not ashamed now the latter part of that verse I'm going to leave off here the verse 25 but the first part of this this is saying that as Adam was formed first and then all these animals come by it is necessary for you to understand that not a single animal was comparable to Adam. So there's a difference between Adam and the animals. And then now he creates Eve out of Adam. And now because they are connected, because they are out, because they came from the same flesh, Adam is saying, this is somebody I desire. This is somebody I love because this is half me. This, this person that you have come, to, that you have given to me is now my bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh and I, I love this woman I she has come from me and we come together and we form one flesh thus today in our marriage and in our time together as we have marriage ceremonies and wedding ceremonies we are saying that two have come to this room but one flesh leaves when they exit this room as the blessing of God upon their life two have become one and thus, we, we, we understand this, this, you've got to leave your father and mother and to be joined to your wife or joined to your husband as one flesh together. This is the way God has created us. This is the desire that God has put within inside of us. And then they were both naked and they were not ashamed. And then let's go down to verse, chapter 3. And I still haven't answered my question yet, I know. If you're getting irritated, why are animals and humans different? I know you think it's the soul, and that's true, but there's bigger than that. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So notice the serpent. He comes up to her. And if you know the story, what do we know about this serpent? This is a weird looking thing. It's a snake that walks and talks. That right there is enough to get my attention. It is a snake. Some of y'all are afraid of snakes. Imagine you're walking down the road and there's a snake and says, I'm just walking right by you. Yeah, we're glad that they're slithering. But there, here in this issue here, there is a snake that is walking and talking. So what does it have? It has human-like characteristics, does it not? It walks and talks. And it walks up to Eve. And it's talking to Eve. And it's having a conversation with Eve. This this. this this animal, this serpent, this snake, 
And then it's described as more cunning. Do you know in Hebrew, the word for cunning here is very much related to the word previous in chapter 2, verse 25. And they were both naked. The word naked is the same. It sound, it's this way. In the word arom is naked. In the, ro, in the word arum is cunning. They're both in a way of something of sorts. Now, some of you, I just blew your mind, and we'll have to take a long time another day to figure that out, all right? Thank you, sister. The idea here is that Adam and Eve are innocent. They have no knowledge of good and evil. Their world, their perception, they perceive the world different than we perceive the world. Their idea, they perceive things different than the way we perceive the world. And now this, we see this snake that comes up and there are beasts of the field and this beast is doing something. He is taking this nakedness and he's twisting it into something that it should not be and he's described as cunning. And as this cunning thing comes up to him, it looks like the same thing as Adam and Eve. It looks like it's the same word. It appears to be the same thing. But there's something else going on. You see, this is what sin does in your life. It appears that it's good. It appears that it's the same thing. It appears like it's the same thing. But there is something different beneath the surface of it. And it is not good for you. And so this serpent is, is, is described as more cunning. It is described as something than every beast of the field, meaning that, that, that there's only two times in Genesis this is describing. The first time, the beasts of the field that have paraded in front of Adam while he's naming them. The second time is now the name beasts of the field are, are standing there. This serpent, this snake is there standing in front of Eve, talking to her, speaking with her, and trying Trying to deceive her. Because what do we find? What do we find here? The demonic is coming into the scene. The demonic is trying to destroy that which God has created. But I want you to recognize something very, very important here. He asked something to Eve, and this is what he says. He said to the woman, has God indeed said? Now you may say, you may say, well, Okay, God said that earlier, but he's speaking about the word of God. You see, what he is doing here is he is, there's a way to say this and make sure that you understand the emphasis. He doesn't say it like this and what we assume because what the Bible speaks of. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? But what we understand that's going on here is he said, has God not indeed said that you could eat of every tree of every garden. You see, the emphasis here is that he is trying to slither into the situation and he's trying to deceive Eve into partaking of a fruit. He is trying to get her to lose her innocence. He's trying to get her to see something and to make a transition to what to from one thing to another. And this is our problem today. And this is our problem with purity. And this is our problem that we don't understand this concept of what's going on in the world today. What the snake has done, he is trying to get Eve to remove herself from the word which God had said and then go to what she desires. He is trying to get her to say, yes, God said this, but did not God create me this way? That I should desire the fruit of that tree? Did he not create the tree in the midst of the garden that I would want to eat that tree? Why would God create a tree that I'm not allowed to touch? This is our problem in society. This is where we are with purity. This is where we are with understanding of what the Bible says. Because I don't care if you have a desire about something. I desire to eat food. Lots of it. But my brain says stop. Sometimes. 
My mind tells me this is not good. You've eaten five pieces of pie. You're going to be in trouble later. Your doctor is going to get mad at you. And then, no, I still like pie. Why? My desire wants it. Well, did not God create me to like pie? Yes, he did. But he also created me with a mind. And he gave me the word of God to help me understand what is good and what is not good. What is helpful and what is not helpful. What the snake is doing, the snake is saying, you're just like one of us. You're just like one of us. If I tell you that a bird flies, it is worshiping God in its flight. Why? Because it's doing what God created it to do. When a, when a fish is swimming it is doing what God created it to do. It is worship. When birds sing and, and animals run and all these things, it is worship because the Bible calls it good because it is doing or they are doing what God has created it to do. It, God has created it with instinct. God has created it with desire. And the snake comes up to Eve and says, don't you want to be like us? Don't you want to live by your instincts? Don't you want to live by your desires? Don't you want to live by these things? Don't you want to live by what we are? Don't you want to be? And has, not, has God really said this thing that, that you should not eat of every tree of the garden? And notice exactly what Eve does. Notice where she is. Verse 5. Well, let me finish this temptation. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. You see, what is here, and this is the problem that is impacting our culture, just because you have a desire does not make it right. You are better than the animals. Every single one of them was paraded in front of Adam, and they were not a comparable helper to him. And what, separated, what separates the animal kingdom from us, not only our souls, but what separates the animal kingdom from us is when they go out and you can't get mad at a tiger when it attacks something and kills it. You can't get mad at, at, at a fish that is swimming in the ocean because it's doing what it's created to do. But I can get mad at you if you do something just because you want to do it. Just because you have a desire to do it. Just because what separate us, what separates us from this moment and the beginning of the garden was that God said something and we disobeyed him. Disobedience is, disobedience is where sin has crept in into the house of God and has crept into our culture and has crept into our society. We need to live purity and living pure is to live according to the word of God. Just because you want to do something, just because you feel that it's good, just because you say, well, God made me this way, I should be able to do it. No, it doesn't matter if, if you feel like, and that's not true actually, but let's just go on the follow, follow that all the way down. If God really did make you that way, he also said, don't do it. And what's more important to you? The word of God. The word of God. You are better than the animals. You are better than all those things around you. You have been created by a purpose, with a purpose that God has plans for you. You see, an animal pleases God by obeying their desires, but you please God by obeying his word. When he says don't do it, you don't do it. It doesn't matter if the tree was good to eat. It doesn't matter if it made you wise. It doesn't matter if it looked good or was desirable. That's not the point. The point was God said no, and the answer no God said don't don't even get near it don't don't go around it don't don't partake of it and so I want to I want to fast forward to the New Testament here 
And I will finish this real quickly. The Bible says in John chapter 8, Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. John chapter 8, 49, verse 50 now. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. If you listen to what I have to say, you won't die. Hmm? All of those that have gone on that brother sang about this morning, they're waiting for us on the other side. Why? Because they obeyed the word of God. They obeyed what God said, what Jesus spoke to them. Obedience is better than sacrifice, the Bible says in another place. It is the desire of God that you obey the word of God and be doers of his word. And if you obey his word, I don't care what your body is telling you. I don't care what your desire is. You're better than an animal. It is the way of truth and life, obeying the word of God. That is your life today. That is your soul today is to obey the word of God. But the Jews got mad at him. Verse 52. Then the Jews said to him, now you, we know you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets. And if anyone keeps my word, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who is dead and the prophets are dead? Why do you make yourself out? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me. You ever heard of somebody, we say it like this, you're a legend in your own mind? I usually am. No one else thinks that. Especially when I'm trying to do something athletic. In my mind, I saw it. The reality was not there. I saw it many times. Did not happen. But if I honored myself like it did happen, my honor is nothing. That's why Jesus says, my father is going to honor me. You see, then he goes on and says, it is my father who honors me of whom you say that he is your God. He is your God. Yet, you have not known him, but I know him. And what does he do? And keep his word. He keep. These are people that are trying to be Pharisees. These are people that are trying to exalt themselves in the, in the eyes of the world. These are people that dress a certain ways that the world looks at them and they think they're all great. And they walk by and they say, man, aren't those people clean? And aren't those people holy? And aren't those people really with it? And he says, listen, you have your own honor. You made it and gave it to yourself. But I'm going to tell you my father is going to honor me. And why is he going to honor me? Why is he going to lift my name up? It's because I obeyed him. I obeyed him and everything he did what did the father ask of Jesus there is humanity down there they're going to die we see this before we ever create them they're going to die and now we have a task for you son will you be their lamb will you be their sacrifice and from the foundation of the world the bible tells us in revelation the Christ the lamb was slain why because Jesus said yes I will die for Adam yes I will die for Eve I will obey the word of my father and all of human history was pointing to the cross and now from the cross all of human history is now looking back to it and we are saying Jesus Christ was the one that was obedient Jesus Christ was the one that was slain Jesus Christ was the one that entered into the very holy of holies and cleansed us by his blood and washed us and made us whole and all because of one thing he was obedient not my will father but your will be done my 
Purity is obeying the word of God. It is obeying what the Father wants to be done. Jesus goes on. Verse 55. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. What we talk about last week. The Lord shall provide. Where, where is it in the sacrifice? Where is it on, on this Mount Moriah that, that Abraham is taking Isaac with him? And Isaac asks him about where we are going. Abraham is standing there in the midst of all this situation and understanding what is happening around him that he says, the Lord shall provide. He shall provide a lamb. He shall provide a sacrifice. This is why we sing about Jehovah Jireh. He was looking to the cross. Abraham saw Jesus' day. He was looking to the cross and he said, Isaac, we don't have anything to worry about when we get up to the top of this hill. Why? God shall provide. How did Abraham know this? Well, we see Abraham talking all the time with this mysterious figure on a regular basis. And he, talking with Abraham, says, to tells him in many occasions, one of which is when they're having this long conversation about Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot. All these different conversations, and we don't have time to go there today. We see this, and Jesus says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Meaning simply this, I was before Abraham, I was there during Abraham, and I was there after Abraham, and I'm here right now, and I'm in the midst of where you are at this moment, at all times, in all places, I am. The obedient one, the son of the father, the son that came, the only begotten one, a full of faith, full of truth. This one, he was the word of God. This is why John tells us in John chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus could not do anything but obey God. Why? Because he's the very word of God. So when you cry out in the midst of all you're going on and you're asking the Lord, come and move. He's asking you one thing. Call unto the name of Jesus Christ and speak the word of God over you. And what happens? The purity of heaven begins to enter into your room and begins to wash you and cleanse you and make you whole before the heavenly father. And now you can go do the word of God. Oh my goodness. I just started, didn't I? My goodness. The Bible says in Philippians 4, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate or think on these things. Whatever the word tells you, think on these things. Don't be listening to everything that your body wants to do. Don't be listening to everything this world is putting in front of you. Don't listen to what the images that, that are coming across your mind. Don't listen. Why? There's only one path out of here. There's only one way of life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no man comes to the Father 
except by me. He is the one that guides us. He's the one that tells us all truth is in his hand. All truth, all word is in his hand. Everything he says will bring you life. There is nothing in here that will bring you death. If something dies in you, it shouldn't have been in you to start with. If you lost anything when you came to the Lord, it didn't belong to you to start with. If you had to give up anything to grab a hold of the word of God, it didn't belong to you to start with. But I'm telling you, if you grab the word of God, you will give, be given life and hope and blessing and peace and joy. And whatsoever things are lovely and whatsoever things are good and whatsoever things are of good report, these things, these virtues, these things are found in the word of God. Jesus tells us this morning, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. To him who, has over, who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. If you hear the word of God and you do the word of God and you overcome, that means you're in a battle. You're in a battle. There are times that you got to say no to your own self. There are times that you got to say no to others. And there are times that you got to say no to this world. But yet if you overcome, he's going to open up heaven's gates and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in, freely eat of the tree of life. Come Eat of all these things. I have given them to you. This is why he says in the word of God in Ephesians 5, 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Why did he give himself for her? That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, he cleansed her, cleanses us by his word, cleanses us for what purpose? That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy without blemish. He comes along. We are stuck in sin. And we are stuck in the things of this world. And we have no escape. We, have, we are ignorant of the word of God, but we are liable for its word. We have no knowledge of it in our members, in our spirits, in our hearts. We have lost that connection to the divine because of, because of where we are. And then somehow, in some glorious moment, through the prevenient grace of God, he opens our mind for an instant and beckons us to come to him and draws us unto himself. And in that moment of that clarity of thought, like the prodigal son, you come to yourself and you say, there is better places to be than where I am right now. And through the grace of God, you stand up out of your own free will and you walk down to the altar and you receive him as Lord and Savior. What are you doing? You are listening to the voice of God who has told you, you don't have to stay that way anymore. You don't have to be that way anymore. You can be free. You can be loved. There is hope. There is freedom. There is peace. There is joy. There is all the things that you've been imagining that your heart so longs for there can be a way come to me you who are weary and heavy laden and I myself will give you rest and in this moment heaven opens up and what was dead comes alive and now we are born out of the word we are born by the word. We are born through obedience to the word, presenting ourselves to the Lamb of God. 
we are saying to the Lamb, we cannot control our lives and we cannot control our destinies. Our desires, they deceive us. We think we know what is good and every man does what is good in his own eyes and consistently and completely. We are always ending up in the ditch and we are consistently and completely falling away. We seem to try well and do well, but then we fall to the wayside. We come to the cross and we say, Jesus, when we want to do good, we don't do good. When we desire to be right, we can't live right. How, who is going to deliver me from this body of death, Paul says. And now we know in this moment we stand before God saying, is there somebody up there in heaven that can hear me? Is there somebody up there in heaven that can reach down to me? Is there someone there that has the power enough to cleanse me? And the sun steps out and he looks down upon you and sees you right where he are, right where you are and he grabs a hold of the vile blood and he comes down into your place and he begins to wash you and he begins to wash all of the sin, all of the addiction, all of the pain, all of the wounds that the world has beat you up with to deceive you into thinking that God is not good and the world is the place that you should be. He begins to heal you. He begins to set you free and then you stand up and for the first time in your whole life you are born again everything has been changed all things have been made new your life is different your being is different you're not the same creature you're not the same thing you weren't you different when you came in here you walked in dead you walked in bound you walked in of the things of the world and your your father was the devil but when you walked out God the father has adopted you and cleansed you and now your inheritance is there in glory you're a new creation in Christ all things have passed away there's been a death but it was Jesus that took the death off of you and now you have life everlasting life ever abundantly and when this body breathes its last your first breath is to see your Savior's face as you stand before God knowing that it's he who has provided he who has set you free he who is lifted up he who is your king has married you and brought you unto himself oh Jesus there was a war that broke out in heaven over you Michael the archangel stood up to defend and he began to fight to fight the dragon and they fought Revelation 12 7 and Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought but they did not prevail nor was there a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now, salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before day for our God day and night has been cast out. What is he doing? Satan has been accusing you before the father day and night Lord, they don't obey your word. All they are animals. They just listen to whatever their desire is. Their instincts is what they live by. When their body tells them to do something, they do it. They live in utter depravity. They are not worthy to have your image. And the archangel steps up. Remember on the schoolyard, Jim? 
Them's fighting words. No, y'all had that problem. Maybe I did. Hey, God, he gets up. And all of his angels get up. And they come down. Let me tell you a story. Keep playing, Garrett. This is scripture. The Bible says that Jesus came to this world. He lived the perfect life, obeying the word of God. He came to the point of Calvary, and this is the ultimate exposure of obedience. He is showing the world what it's like to obey even if it costs you something. His desire was to stay alive. His desire was not to go to the crosses. The desire was not to be, be separate from the Father, but yet he obeyed. And he went to the cross. But up to this moment in human history, Satan had been free to accuse the human race. And then Jesus got up. On the day that he rose from the dead, the Bible says the grave opened up. And a stone was rolled away because there is no stone that can hold back life. And as that stone rolls away, Jesus walks out of the tomb. And what should be dead is not dead because he's alive. And as he comes out of that tomb, he sees a woman over here called Mary. And she is she is distraught over the fact that she has lost her first love, her Savior. He's the one that delivered her. He's the one that set her free. He's the one that brought her out of darkness. He's the one that gave her life. He's the one that showed her value. He's he's the one. And she is there alone. The other ladies have left her. And according to the Gospel of John, when she finally realizes that her Savior has rose from the dead, she reaches out to him and hugs him. And he takes, and he takes her and says, don't hold on to me, Mary. I still got one more thing to do. I got to go up there to my Father. You can't, you can't keep me here. But when I go there, I'm going to send you something down here. And I'll be with you. And so when Mary releases him and runs to tell the disciples, the story goes on several days later. Jesus is there, 40 days to be exact, there on the hill, and he ascends. And he begins to go up. And as he is going further and further out of sight, he has a destination. He has a purpose. He has a plan of what he is doing. And I want to read it to you. Because he has an appointment. He has an appointment to keep. An appointment for you, an appointment for me. This is not up here. This is what God's speaking to me right now. And as he comes into the room. Praise God. And as he walks into the room of heaven. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 5. Well, let me go back one more. Revelation chapter 4. John says, Immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like Jasper, a sardis stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting. So obviously this is a beautiful place. Verse 8, the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy and holy, Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the four Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him. So what is this place? This is a holy place. This is a place of power. This is a place of might. And then I saw verse 1 of 5, chapter 5. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written and signed and on the back and sealed with seven seals. 
Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to be open and to read the scroll or to look at it. But the one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent to all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Let me speed this up for you real quickly here. We were lost. We were undone. There was no hope. There was no escape. No one was pure. No one was doing right. And then Jesus ascends to heaven. And as he goes to heaven, when he reaches up in that moment, at the moment of time when all of the world is looking, he grabs a hold of this scroll. And not you, not me, not anybody else is worthy, but he's worthy. Why? Because he obeyed the voice of the Father. And then all the people begin to worship and say, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, having redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on earth. I'm not done with the story. Then Michael gets up. Seven chapters later, Michael gets up. The accuser has been defeated. All of the Lord's hosts who are with me, it is now time to do battle. It is now time to do the war because the lamb that has been slain has overcome. And now they rush Satan in a moment and the Lord's host begin to fight against the war. Over what? Over you, over your life, over your soul, over your life and everything that you would be and everything that you could be. And they fought and they fought and the Michael, the archangel and the heavenly host of God kicked the devil out of heaven and he's thrown to the earth. Now all he has is this time in this moment, in this world. It is a short moment. It is a short time. It is a time that is left amongst him and he is going to try to deceive, to get the world, to try to give in to their desire and not the word of God. But I want to tell you, he lost 2,000 years ago. He was expelled. He's no longer there. He's no longer available to you so that when you need something in the middle of the night and you have nowhere else to go, the Bible says you can boldly approach the throne and run in. The accuser has been defeated. He is cast down. That which was blocking you from the most holy place has been pushed out of heaven. And now those that love the Lord God and love the word of God and are pure before the eyes of God have free access to the very throne of God. Come, those that love receive all that he has for you today. Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of East Point Church of God and Pastor Larry Sterling. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.